Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Um, What you can do to support this podcast is what you've done in the past is go to Apple and rate the podcast, leave a review. Uh, Most of the reviews are really positive. They're five-star reviews, but about every 10th review, we get a one-star review. And I think it's generally someone who's just not connected with these wonderful stories. So you feel impressed to leave a review. It helps to drown out the one-star reviews that I don't think are reflective of our awesome guests that come on the podcast. That's the way you can support the podcast. You can't donate to the podcast. You can just do what you're doing, listen and share it with others. And I'm so grateful for people that step forward and share their stories. And um, our guest on today's podcast is my new friend, Christina Judd. Welcome to the podcast, Christina. Thank you. So happy to be here. Um, We're going to talk about Christina's new book. She's an LDS author. The name of the book is All We Can Do, A Fresh View of God, Ourselves, and the World. And um, a little bit of it, we'll talk obviously more about the book. The book's available at Amazon. It came out in August of 2023. It's a book that's obviously supportive of the LDS Church. And um, we'll link and we'll share the, put the link in the show notes. I probably said that. And um, just a little bit more about Christina. She lives in northern Utah. She's a married mother of three. Her kids are from age 10 to 2, roughly. Um, She's a return missionary from McAllen, Texas, speaking Spanish. And um, you went to BYU-Idaho, and you've got a degree in kind of a few different areas. Um, Why don't you tell people about your, because I didn't quite get that before we visited, tell our, our listeners a little bit more about Um, your degree at BYU-Idaho and the focus of your education? Well, I was a senior in high school when Clay Aiken was jumping on a trampoline with a boy with Down syndrome. And when I watched him, something struck me and I thought, that is what I want to do. I want to play with kids who have special needs. And so um, when I got to BYU-Idaho, I went into the speak with a counselor And she said, yeah, you'll go into the elementary education program. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be a teacher. I want to work with kids in their natural environment. And she said, yes, you just, you go through this program. It's the early childhood specialized education program. And then in, when you finish your student teaching, and then you can apply to these jobs and you have an early childhood degree. So that's what I did. I did my student teaching in a, so it's an early childhood specialized education degree, which also encompasses elementary education. And then after my mission, I added two minors. I added the Spanish education minor and teaching English as a second language. So it was a blast. And then I did my student teaching in a special education classroom and also in a second grade Spanish dual immersion classroom. Wow. wow. That's very cool. Um, yes. And then I did, I, I took my dream job afterwards. I didn't, I didn't take the teaching job. I did go after, I worked at Kids on the Move in Orem, Utah wow. for a few years before I had my own. That's great. Thanks for yeah. your good heart to bless others, especially those that have a harder road. And, um, Let's talk about your book. I could read, I'll just start with, um, you have a quote from Elder Uchtdorf here as the very first page of your book. And I've never, and this is wonderful. I haven't, I'm not familiar with this. That's what you do. You tell your stories. Sometimes your stories make people laugh. 
Sometimes they bring them to tears. Sometimes they will help people to continue in patience, resilience, and courage to face another hour, another day, and come a little closer to God. Um, That's a great quote. So tell us about, you could start with just telling us about the book at the big picture level um, to get a general idea, or you could tell more about who you hope the book is written for and what you hope it accomplish. And I'll just kind of turn it over to you, Christina. Sounds fabulous. Thank you. I wrote this book when the bottom fell out of my life, when I was doing all I could do. And like this woman with the issue of blood um, in Mark chapter five, it says she had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. That encompassed my life at that time. And so I loved babies. I worked with babies. I played with babies all day for work and I would would get up, I would run in the morning, I'd go to work, make dinner, take dinner to everybody else. It was when Tyler and I got married and I had a job, it was a really fun time. And so I thought, oh yeah, I can have kids. I'll rock this. (laughs) But um, having children was super, super, super hard for me. I experienced a lot of depression and anxiety during pregnancy, which I had never experienced before. And then I think a lot of postpartum depression, which I didn't know I had because I had never experienced that before. So I just kept doing all I could do and going through all the motions and working as hard as I could to love being a mom and love being a stay-at-home mom now and love my baby and it, everything I did. It was, I, I was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse like that woman in the Bible. And so at that, we were living in Seattle, Washington at the time. And then kind of five and a half years into that time, we realized there's something wrong. Like, is it the, I thought it was this children the whole time. And so my daughters are a year apart. Um, Something was wrong. I was, was it my kids? Did they ruin me? Was it the weather? (laughs) What was, what was going on? And so we decided to move to Huntington beach, California. I said, I want the sunniest place on earth. I want to bike everywhere and walk and run and be outside all day long again. And so we moved and, but when we moved, I had no foundation. I had, my foundation had been, had fallen out of the bottom of me. And so I'm thinking like, I did all the right things, God, how come you didn't heal me or didn't fix me or didn't change me. And I, I do go into more detail about what that looked like in the book, but I was so confused about this gospel that I knew was true and how obedience brings blessings and keeping commandments makes you happy and brings joy when that wasn't the case for me. That never, it didn't work all of a sudden. And so then without a foundation and just asking a ton of questions, we moved to Huntington Beach where I also share in the book about brother Michael King. He was, he's been an institute teacher for a long time and was our gospel doctrine teacher at the time in Huntington. And I went to Huntington thinking, okay, God, how does it work? Like it didn't work. So how does it work? And president Nelson at the same time was saying, go hear him, go, go ask questions, get answers. And brother King at the same time was shouting across this room, like go to the scriptures. You're smarter than me. Get it yourself. And so all these people I could feel, I felt a lot. I felt the Holy ghost saying, giving me confidence all of a sudden 
to be able to do that, to go to the scriptures and get the answers myself. Um, so I did, I started the study that president Nelson suggested of studying Jesus Christ in the topical guide and underlining every scripture. And that is when everything changed when scriptures just started bounding off the pages at me. And I started seeing them differently than I had ever seen them before. So King Benjamin and his people and Isaiah and Nephi and Mary and Elizabeth and the woman at the well, all of, and, and Enoch and Moses and Isaiah, I don't like everybody. They look like they're the most obedient people in the world. And that's why they have all these really sacred, miraculous experiences. But what I came to find was they were actually the most repentant. They were the most honest about all of the things that plagued them, about their pain and their heartache and their hardship and their trials and their sins and their suffering. They were the most honest. And so that's why, so I actually started praying like them. I'm like, well, it worked for them. Maybe it'll work for me. So instead of checklisting my way through a day or setting goals, like I'm going to play for five minutes with my kids today, or I'm going to put my phone away for an hour or, you know, all these like little goals and checklists of things I could do to improve myself. I instead started repenting my heart out like the most powerful people in scripture. And um, it worked. <laughs> and I wrote a book about it, how to do it and why to do it and what happens and what goes wrong and how you will find yourself in the most beautiful place, a place you never imagined you could go. <laughs> You're really brave to share, you know, listeners, I don't know really anything about people's stories and we don't spend a lot of time visiting ahead of time. And so when I hear a segment like this, my heart just kind of opens up and I go, wow, you are really brave. And there's probably a lot of other people walking the same road and they need people that are walking this road to lead them out of it um, with the stories that they're able to share. And here you've written a book and you're on a podcast and but respect for being honest and just this, I create this visual imagery of if I do everything right on this kind of checklist plan, then the bottom won't ever fall out. And I like that vocabulary, the bottom fell out. So you move thinking that would solve it. And Huntington Beach and Seattle are both awesome places. Um, but eventually, um, and I can't hear myself very well all of a sudden. I hope I'm not um, drowning out. But um, suddenly you recognize that you needed to do something I do. Different. You are... You, I can't hear you as well anymore. I'm going to press pause. Uh, listeners, I paused for a second because my volume cut out, but this bottoming out visual imagery is really powerful. And I think it sounds like it was very unexpected because you were doing all the right things. And then you wonder what this happened. And I love this line you said, I thought I could checklist my way through the day or sort of end this bottoming out because of checklists. and that's a good thing. There's good things on that checklist, but you kind of change your paradigm by reading the scriptures and came to a different framework of how to, uh, how to move out of this space. So share more of your story. I think, um, I, I kind of, I mentioned this one in the book where I've heard somebody say, if you want to change, like set the smallest goal you can set and then make it smaller. Like all of these ideas are really good ideas, 
but I still had spent my whole life trying to make myself different. I I even share these stories in the book where back in college, I would try so hard, like go to study groups and hire tutors and try to get up early and set an alarm a million different ways. You know, all these little hacks that we put in our to-do list to make our lives different and better. And I just reached a point where it 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 wasn't working. It didn't work and it wasn't working. And I just was exhausted from trying. And so when I began reading the scriptures, it was actually King Benjamin's people who launched this whole um, parade. <laughs> and they say, so the angel comes and teaches King Benjamin. And he teaches this, gives this beautiful sermon lesson to King Benjamin all about Jesus Christ. He's going to be born. He's going to shed blood from every poor. He's go, everyone will rebel against him. He's coming to save his people. Um, He's going to suffer more than anyone can suffer. And he's going to be resurrected. And um, the law of Moses availeth nothing. Like the law avails you nothing. And Paul clarifies that when Paul says, it actually leads to death and more debt. The law only gives us debt and death. (laughs) So if I'm trying to obey my way through, it's actually impossible. It's impossible for me to get to heaven by law. And so King Benjamin goes on this beautiful lesson to King... No, so the angel teaches King Benjamin, and then King Benjamin takes it and teaches his people. And the verse that I think encompasses repentance, this is what taught me repentance, is in chapter four, verse two. And they say, and it says, they had viewed themselves in their own carnal state, even less than the dust of the earth. And they cried aloud with one voice saying, have mercy, apply the atoning blood of Christ. And then they ask for two blessings. They ask for forgiveness of their sins and for their hearts to be purified. And I was like, whoa, the Holy Ghost hit me. And I saw they did not change themselves. The Holy Ghost purified their hearts and changed them. And they, so that they had no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. They didn't make that happen to themselves by what they did. They learned about Jesus. They fell on their knees and they pled for mercy. And he healed and changed them. So then I kept reading. I I I was I was shocked. My scriptures are written, marked up, and I'm and then I just keep going and going. And all of a sudden I see Isaiah, who's in the temple, and Jesus Christ appears to him. And Isaiah, who is the most quoted prophet, and who Jesus Christ quotes more than he quotes any other prophet, the very first words out of Isaiah's mouth are. Woe is unto me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And I'm like, Isaiah, the most quoted prophet by Jesus Christ, is standing in front of Jesus Christ in the temple, and the only thing he can do is talk about his carnal state, his weakness, his unworthiness. And so I just... And it, that's just where it started. And then for the last five years, it has grown from there. And that is what is in the book. How we cannot change, heal, or perfect ourselves, no matter the goals that we set. 
but that Jesus Christ will do that for us as we just get honest about what hurts and about what, about what is going wrong. Um, This is really honest about what hurts and what's going on Um, in that first segment, just to come back to that first segment. Um, Christina, you talked about as you were felt impressed to go to the scriptures because that's what President Nelson and your um, gospel doctrine teacher invites us to do to hear him. You heard these stories, I think you said, of real vulnerable, honest people and how um, that was part of their journey to get their foundation and get their perspective and move forward. But I love sort of this idea you've got to be honest about the realities of your life and honest to God and honest to yourself in a positive, healthy way. And that allows you to do better. But this, this idea of, you know, it, it's fascinating because, you know, what would it be like to be Isaiah, to be, you know, quoted by the Savior? Um, that's quite an honor. <laughs> um, and to then be feeling like Isaiah feels. If Isaiah can feel that way, obviously we can all feel that way. And uh, But then you help us understand, you know, how we get out of that tough spot where we don't think we're worthy or we don't think we're enough. Um, and so that's our doctrine, and you're teaching it in a very practical way. Keep sharing the stories and scripture insights and chapters from the book. So then I read, um, well, first I read King Benjamin and their, the people's account of what happened to them. Um, and so once I realized that, oh my gosh, I don't change myself either. I don't heal myself and I don't change myself. So then I, I tried it. Um, well, okay, I'll, let me jump back for a minute. So in Alma chapter 32, Alma and Amulek are my heroes. I adore them. <laughs> and the, this is like a dream team missionary companionship in my mind. And if anyone knows faith and repentance, Alma and Amulek know faith and repentance. And so generally as a population, we look at Alma chapter 32, um, all about faith and a seed. Plant the seed, do your work, do what you can do, keep doing it, and it will eventually work. Like, I think culturally, that's kind of how we see Alma 32, but I see it differently now. They are like, Jesus Christ is coming. He is the savior. You will have tons of afflictions, but um, Jesus is coming, right? So it is about faith, but they are setting you up to hear chapter 33 and then to hear chapter 34. So you almost can't read these three chapters independently. I would suggest for anyone who wants to dive into this to read Alma 32, 33, 34, 33, 32, 33, 34, 33, 33. Like go just read it like an accordion because this is faith and repentance right here. So they are saying in chapter 32, awake, arouse your faculties, try the experiment. And I love this because faith and repentance is an experiment. It is an ultimate surrendering to Jesus Christ and to our worthless and fallen state almost in a way that Jesus Christ can then come in and heal and strengthen and change us. So I love that they say it's an experiment, try the experiment. And they say it like three times. So then in chapter 33, they even give the, sorry, they even give the promised blessing at the end of 
chapter 32. You're going to taste the fruit. It's going to be the most precious, delicious fruit you have ever tasted. White above all the white fruit. And if you will endure patience and long suffering and wait, the tree, Jesus Christ, will bring forth fruit unto you. So they are setting you up. This is, it's going to look different than you think, but just try it. It's going to work. So then in um, chapter 34, they go on and on talking about Jesus Christ. He's full of mercy. And he suffered everything he suffered so that you can have faith unto repentance. And this is where this seed began to grow. I began to see faith is always unto repentance. Faith is not unto checklists of what more I need to do to make myself like Jesus. Faith is unto repentance. And so then they go through in, they start in verse 16, again, saying mercy is going to take hold. Don't worry. The justice has been paid. If you repent, you are covered whatever it is. And then they say, so may God grant unto you that you may begin to exercise your faith unto repentance. Call upon his holy name. Cry unto him for mercy. Humble yourselves and continue in prayer. Cry over your fields, over your flocks. Cry in your houses. Cry over your household. Cry against your enemies. Cry over the crops of your field. And I am hearing, cry over your children. Cry over your anguish around mothering. Cry over over the pain that you feel when they touch you and hug you and ask you to snuggle them. Cry over everything you can't do. Cry over everything that you're bad at. <laughs> cry and cry and cry and cry out. And so I, with Isaiah, with King Benjamin and his people, and with Alma and Amulek, I saw faith and rep- I saw Jesus and I saw faith and repentance. And so I began praying like they prayed and doing what they said to do. And that is when everything got turned right side up, when Jesus Christ himself became my sure foundation. And now he is building from there. It's really powerful. No one's ever talked about Alma 32, 33, 34 in the context of all of those three chapters uh, and how they relate to each other. Um, And I love this idea that Jesus is our foundation. And that's our rock. And we certainly teach that and believe that. But sometimes um, the work you're doing to help us understand that is really helpful. I, I, um, I think when we're thinking, yes, Jesus saves us, but, or yes, Jesus heals us, but then hmm. we don't quite understand Jesus Christ and we don't quite understand faith and repentance yet. There should be nothing between him and me. No lists, no, nothing between him and me. And as soon as I can just look at him in every thought, every, that's the other thing. That's another scripture. Look unto me in every thought, doubt not, fear not. So I thought that I looked to him in every good, righteous, holy, uplifting, beautiful thought. But with this whole faith and repentance thing, I read that scripture in light of repentance and thought, oh my goodness, look unto me in every thought. That is repentance. Look in the sad, mad at God, addicted, troublesome, painful thoughts. Look in every thought. And that's what he takes and heals and changes and works with. 
Keep sharing. So Alma 33, I started pouring it all out, but then I felt like a big fat whiner. I'm like, wow, I'm just like really whining and complaining. I'm not, is this repentance? I just feel like I'm whining all the time. And then again, I asked another question, am I whining at God too much? And bam, the next day or week, I read in Alma 33 and it says, um, this is, I don't know if it's Almulek or Alma. Someone is quoting Zenus. And he said, Zenus said, this is verse 11. And now didst hear me because of mine afflictions and my sincerity. And it is because of thy son that thou hast been thus merciful unto me. Therefore, I will cry unto thee in all mine afflictions, for in thee is my joy, for thou hast turned thy judgments away from me because of thy son. And when I read that verse, I knew I could never whine or complain when I am being honest with my God. There is no such thing. That is what he needs and needs from me. I have another. Okay, after verse 11 and verse 12, Alma even, Alma is like, do you get it, people? Can you understand what I'm saying? So Alma says, and now Alma said unto them, do you believe those scriptures? He's even asking them, do you believe Zenus? Do you believe Jesus Christ? Do you believe Zenic and everything they said about repentance? Um, because it is a little foreign. It's There's a lot of commandments and obedience in the scriptures. And so when we it's easy to look at the scriptures and read the scriptures through the lens of obedience. But once we read the scriptures through the lens of repentance, everything changes for us. Um, I do have another story I want to share, but it might take me a second to find it. Read the scriptures from the lens of repentance versus the lens of obedience. It's an interesting concept. Listeners, as Christine is looking for that, I don't think she's inviting us in any way not to be obedient um, and not the things on the checklist are good things. It's just a different way of processing our relationship with God and how to find hope and healing and reading the scriptures through this kind of lens. I think naturally checklists are easier for us. We want to know when we're square with God and um, our temple recommend is sort of a checklist because there's questions there. So we're somewhat programmed um, coming up in the church with, things that require a checklist to get, you know, different um, milestones as we move up. And I think those are all good, but it may create a way of seeing that is checklist seeing this is how I do my relationship with God and how I do working through hard things. And so it's, it's kind of like a whole higher, holier law. It's like making this up on the fly, Christina, this is your podcast. It's kind of like going from the, law of Moses um, of the Old Testament, which is a good law to a higher, holier way that Christine is inviting us and what President Nelson's inviting us and what the scripture is inviting us. And maybe our younger selves need a checklist and that's the best we can do. But our older selves, especially going through what you've gone through, we recognize we need a different model um, going forward that's more sustainable. So our bottom don't drop out or whatever language you used earlier. So back to you, Christina. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. We start off with these rules and boundaries to keep us safe. Right? My two-year-old has a lot of those. 
Um, but then we mature out of them. And as we mature out of them, we begin to rivet our focus on Jesus Christ. And to rivet means my eyes never come off of him. In every good and bad thing that I do think, feel, and say, I am directing it to him so that he can then change me. Um, I think it's, there's a quote, I think it's, oh gosh, I think it's Bruce R. McConkie, but I could have that wrong, who says, the doctrine of the atonement is the most important, but the least understood of mm-hmm. our doctrine. And I don't know if he continued this phrase or if it was just my professor in college, but the next line that follows that in my mind is because we don't understand the doctrine of the fall. And so I, the doctrine of the fall is that I was born and now I am always falling all day long. I am falling. And this is where I think we can understand Jesus Christ better when we understand what our problems actually are. There is no amount of obedience I can do to keep myself from falling. And that is because I can't do it perfectly. So this is a really important concept to understand. Jesus Christ not only suffered for all of my sins and paid for them, he also lived perfectly for me because no unclean thing can enter the presence of God. So only Jesus Christ who lived perfectly can go back to the presence of God. So now I am in mortality and I cannot do any commandment or law perfectly. That is why law does not get me to heaven. Only perfection goes home. Only Jesus. So I make covenants with him. I bind myself to him and I repent my way home. Um, there was this, oh, and I, I, Nephi and Isaiah are clear on that point when Nephi's like, yes, we keep the law of Moses, but it's dead. The law is dead to you. So your checklist is dead to you. Repentance and Jesus Christ get you home. Um, I'm going to read this story. It's from my book and it's the section is called initiatories. I love doing initiatories in the temple there. The most basic principles have been expounded on again and again in my mind. One evening I walked in with a question that was quickly answered. As I sat waiting, I felt the spirit say, teach the initiatory what worker, what you learned. I rebutted. You're not supposed to talk in the temple. I like the quiet. I don't want to begin a discussion. Plus, I'm always trying to teach everyone everything. I need to chill out. No more words came from the spirit after that. Only explosive feelings. The tiny room in which I sat swelled to bursting. The pressure inside and outside of me grew in intensity. If I lifted my my hand, I might have caught hold of it. I continued to defy the feeling. They'll be done soon. I'm out of time. Explosions went off. My heart raced even faster. Everything around me was expanding, bursting at the seams. Time lagged and the lady behind the curtain still had not come in. Everything inside of me screamed, I am crazy. I am not opening my mouth. But everything outside of me forced it out anyway. Pointing to the previous station, I whispered, you are not kept clean by your obedience, by doing everything you can as perfectly as you can. You are kept clean by your honesty about everything you can't do, about everything going wrong. Her eyes locked with mine and welled with tears. She nodded slowly. The next lady appeared from behind the curtain and ushered me through. 
soft sniffles the only interruption to the silence. My heart immediately steadied, a calm replacing the storm born of my refusal to comply, and a prayer of gratitude formed in my mind. Thank you for teaching me, and thank you for allowing me to help another learn who Jesus Christ is and what he does. Wow. Um, powerful stuff. Talk about, you know, some people would say, well, are you minimizing obedience? Or are you compromising obedience to talk like this? I think first law of heaven, I think our leaders have said is, is obedience. Any thoughts on just people that are wondering about obedience in the context of what you're sharing? Yes. Um, I, I also address this in the book. So I used to think that God was God because God was perfectly obedient. God being heavenly mother, heavenly father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, right? All the gods. I thought God was God because they were perfectly obedient. And now I don't believe that. What happens actually when you exercise your faith unto repentance and you make covenants with Jesus Christ, you then receive the Holy Ghost. So it's faith, repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost. And when you receive the Holy Ghost, it is the Holy Ghost who brings you priesthood power. You exercise faith unto repentance, make covenants, and as you keep repenting, are filled with power, just as every person in Scripture, the brother of Jared, Moses, Enoch, Noah, Mo, like everybody in Scripture, repents and receives power, healing, and change. And then I found the Scripture in Doctrine and Covenants 132. Um. I'm actually going to go to it right now because this is this is the end result of repentance. It's verse 20. Then shall they be gods. And I, that one day I read this and the Holy Ghost hit me. They um okay, families, then shall they be gods because they have no end. Therefore shall they be from everlasting to everlasting because they continue then shall they be gods because they have all power and the angels are subject unto them we receive all power and that makes us gods and now i believe that our heavenly parents repented their way into godhood i don't believe they necessarily obeyed their way there and um, I, there's a, I have a lot of thoughts in my brain right now that I don't know if I can share. I can't share all of them. I can't answer the question fully right now, but what I can say is if you try the experiment, you will be filled with power and you will be made different than you are. You will get where you're trying to go but it will come at the expense of far, it will come with far less stress and guilt and shame. It will come easier than that if you repent. So um, I'm going to talk about the Savior who in the Garden of Gethsemane poured out his true and honest heart. He got honest about what hurt, about how bad it how bad it was about he thought he could do it. He wanted to do it. And now he doesn't want to do it anymore. It hurts too bad. Will you please take it away? 
So he was very honest in his pain and in his suffering. But what happened through his suffering, we read in Hebrews that um, Jesus Christ was made perfect by the things which he suffered. And that compiled here with all of this repentance and receiving priesthood power. As we repent our way through our suffering, through our tribulation, as we really do turn it all over to Jesus Christ, as we rely wholly on his merits and his mercy and his grace, wholly, not, it's not, I do 99%. It's not he did 99% and I do 1%. It is not, it's, 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 I infinitely need him covering all of me. And so in my pain and suffering, as I repent my way through it, and give my true and honest heart, just like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. He came out the side, out, out the other side, full of all power in heaven and earth. And that is our promise and destiny. It is being filled with all power in heaven and in earth. And it comes as we get very honest about what we can't do, as we view ourselves in our own carnal state less than the dust of the earth because we can't obey perfectly. This is really thoughtful, Christina. Um, I'm just moved listening to you. I love going to the Garden of Gethsemane and how you took us there and Christ was honest and vulnerable. And I like your thought. Um, He signed up for something and then when it became time, he didn't really want to do it. And I think that's the human side of our Savior. Um, and I, and so if our Savior does that, we can do the same thing. And um, vulnerability and honesty with our heavenly parents in prayer, I think, is a good thing. Um, to, and talk about the word repent. I think people naturally think sin. I'm going, you know, I'm thinking, is that just, I think people assume that things sometimes aren't going well, the bottom fell out because it was sin, and then I've got to repent my way out of this. I think you're talking broader than that. So talk, if so, talk a little bit about that. Yes, exactly. Um, if we zoom out of repentance, we notice like King Benjamin's people, they asked, they fell on their knees and asked for forgiveness and for purification, for change, and for healing and perfection and change, which, you know, comes in a really long time and after a lot of suffering, but it does come. So I do use repentance for everything. As Alma and Amulek taught, cry, exercise your faith unto repentance. Jesus Christ suffered blood and died so that you could exercise your faith unto repentance. So cry it all out. And honestly, like I started repenting that way and things got worse. I saw more (laughs) weakness. I saw Jesus Christ says, if you come to me, I will show you your weakness. (laughs) Yes. So we actually need to go there too. Oh, okay. There it is. Um, so I started repenting wanting miracles and help and blessings, but I saw more weakness. And the thing with repentance is you have to keep repenting as things, as your life gets worse, you keep repenting your way through it. And 
my dying testimony is that as you keep repenting your way through it, you will be filled with power. You will be changed. You will be healed. And that is what happened to me. And that's why I wrote the book. I really did let every checklist go. And I really did just get honest. And that really is enough. Like like Moses and the children of Israel, when they're in the wilderness and the people are bitten by serpents, he says, look at this staff and you will be healed. And some didn't do it because they didn't believe it would heal them. Some looked and were healed and some didn't believe it. And this is why I love Alma and Amulek's Try the Experiment, because it is It was enough for the children of Israel to look and be healed. It is enough for us to look at him in every thought and be healed. So it is, it is not just for sin. It is for every single thing I want and wish and hope for in my life. I get there by repenting my way into it. You you know, you caused me to think of where the church is going um, away from checklist to more of a principles-based approach. Yes. I think of home teaching and visiting teaching, which was kind of a checklist. And obviously, checklists work. People got visited and lives got changed. So it's not like it was a bad program. But I think our leaders want to take us to a higher, holier way and introduce ministering, which is not a checklist program. It's sort of like you've got to get involved in people's lives and make a difference. And it's not, and it has the ability if implemented correctly in the church is to move people's lives in a more dramatic way. I think of strength for youth. That was sort of a checklist program. We've even at times had our leaders say, well, one earring might be okay, two may not. And I think we're trying to, in a, in a worldwide church with different cultural norms, I think we're trying to get away from checklists and the strength of youth. We're not getting away from commandment keeping, um, but we're getting away. We're trying to teach the principle behind the checklist and move our people to a better way of moving forward. So I think this is consistent with what our church is trying, leaders are trying to do from my frontline view of for the church. And so it's very consistent. And I, it takes growing pain because Sometimes we see differences and people interpret the checklist. Strength of youth has some growing pains where some people will interpret differently and, than other people. And so we wonder how that, what that means. But I think that's okay. We just have different interpretations of how to implement the principles and we just support each other. But can I add a thought? Yes. Yeah, that's, I love that. Um, I think if I could go back to my younger self and if I were in the four strength of youth program right now, knowing faith and repentance and Jesus, the way that I know and understand it now, um, I would be like, I know you set goals for the different uh, categories. What are they called? Can't remember, but we both remember. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would I would be sure to tell my children, set this goal, but don't get there out of sheer grit and willpower and striving yourself half to death and feeling guilty because you're not getting there. Set a goal and then get honest about every time you don't reach it and you can't do it and tell, pour that out in your prayer. Pour out your true and honest heart 
and your inability and the savior will get you there. So I think that is, that is Jesus. That is repentance. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ to me. So I don't repent and I don't teach repentance to get away with doing less. I repent and I teach repentance so that I can be changed and healed to do more. Wow. That was like a mic drop statement, Christina. <laughs> I think a lot of people paused the podcast and just wrote that down. That was, that's powerful. It is true. That's what will happen to you. You're not trying to do less. You will find yourself being and becoming and doing more. And that's the beauty of Jesus Christ and repentance. You know, I think listeners, we forget sometimes that Christ is divine and he is limitless in his ability to heal us. He's already paid the price. He wants to do it. I think we look at other humans say, I'm not going to be open and vulnerable and real because I don't want to add to their burden. They've already got a lot going on in their lives. And I'm going to kind of work this out myself and then maybe turn to the Savior and tell them how it all turned out. And once I've kind of the bottom has unfallen out. <laughs> But I think you're helping us understand that Christ wants to be with us when the bottom falls out and he wants us to know how we feel and he can handle it. And we're not, it's not a fixed pie. If we open up with all of our pain and someone down the street that has pain, you know, he has limited attention span or limited ability to heal us because he's focused on somebody else. And humans are that way, but, you know, our heavenly parents and the Savior are not that way. They're gods. And there's those omni, omni things. There's three of them, and I can't remember them, but yeah. all, all powerful, you know. And so they're limitless in their ability to be present for each of us. And they've already, Christ has already paid the price to be present with our pain and to help heal us in our pain. So there's this Puritan culture thing that all kind of work it out. Um, then maybe when the bottom unfalls out, that's not really a word, listeners, but. Yeah. <laughs> I'll kind of tell my heavenly parents, I'll pray to Heavenly Father and say, this is how it all went and this is how I solved it and we're good now and, you know, I'm glad I didn't bother you too much. And Or we feel like if, we, if it's a true repentance thing, we'll kind of get in a better place and then, you know, kind of open up again to our Heavenly Father because we're maybe feel bad about our life. And I think you're helping us understand that they want to be there with us and they have the capacity to do that. And it's part of personal growth. So can I go to ether 12 really quickly? Yes. And then I'll I, go there I have... too. Okay. I'm going to open my scriptures with you, Christina. Okay. While you're opening and going to ether 12, I'm actually going to share this back in Mosiah chapter four in verse two, they viewed themselves in their own carnal state less than the dust of the earth. And this line is so powerful. They all cried aloud with one voice. And that hit me so hard actually today, right now, just before this podcast, they cried with one voice. They became one because they saw themselves in their own carnal state. They were no longer othering. They were no longer saying it's their fault because of this and that and that. Nobody was looking outward at other people and their weaknesses. They saw their own worthless and carnal state, and that made them one. Well, I've got a lot of red lines under Ether 12. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 
Great. Love what you just shared. I'm curious what you're going to share out of Ether 12 now. Okay. In if you're ready Ether to go 12, there. <laughs> we're in verse 27. Um, if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. So it's kind of, it is tricky. Do I believe in Jesus Christ enough to give him all of me, to give him all the bad and all the unclean and all the weak and all the hurting? Do I have that much faith? So if men come unto me, I'll show unto them their weakness. I give, give men weakness, that they may be humble. My grace is sufficient. There's nothing you can tell me I haven't paid for or covered or suffered. I've already done and seen it all. Doesn't matter what you've done. Bring it to me. I like this analogy of get it out of the dark, secretive places of our hearts and bring it to the light, bring it to Jesus because light heals it. Um, if they if they humble themselves and have faith unto repentance, then will I, Jesus Christ, make weak things become strong unto them. I don't strengthen my weaknesses. He does. I repent my way through them. He makes them strong. And then in verse 37, this is my favorite. He says in the middle of verse 37, because thou hast seen thy weakness, thou shalt be made strong. The gospel really is this easy. What am I bad at? What can I not do? What am I struggling with? Can I see it? And can I verbalize it to those who need to know and to God? because then it will be healed. And then he goes even farther. I'm going to make it strong, even unto the sitting down in the place which I've prepared in the mansions of my father. If you will see your weakness, see yourself in your own carnal state, see your disobedience, see your unworthiness, see your pain and heartache and get it out and give it to me, I will bring you home to the mansions of my father. Wow. It's the the message is everyone can do it. Everyone can eventually get honest. Everyone can pour that out to God, which means everyone can be healed and everyone can come home. I'm just so moved by that. Um, I've written a, one of the things I've written down, listeners listening to Christina is. Um, this is something I used to teach in young men's was, you know, you've got to tie your self-worth into things that you control and not things you can't control, like marital status or looks or followers on social media or income. And you have to get your self-worth tied into things you control. And number one is your relationship with the Savior, and he needs to be your rock. And you can completely control that. And it doesn't need to come or go based on sin or not sin or perfect obedience or less perfect obedience. But it's something that's within our controls to have this rock solid relationship with our Savior. It's available to all of us. It's not earned. It's there if we take advantage of it. And if we do the things that you're suggesting on a very practical way, Christina, to do that. And then I think we make better decisions in our life and we're coming from a position of strength because we remember who we are. We know we have this relationship with our Savior. He's our rock, our Redeemer, our everything to make our way forward um, in an imperfect world, being imperfect people. 
Um, so, you know, I used to teach that, but I didn't have the tools to sort of pragmatically make it real the way you have. You have this gift of taking our doctrine and then making it very real for people to say, I can do that. That's with, that's reachable. Christine is not creating more like I've got to chase a new thing because I'm overwhelmed chasing my obedience checklist. I can, this is like maybe really helpful. More thoughts you'd like to share? We've got about eight minutes. We're going to keep this yeah. at the hour mark. Great. Um, thank you. It's been really fun. It has been completely life-changing and it's been the most be- beautiful journey. The, the journey of repentance I've been on has been the most beautiful journey of my entire life. Um, so this morning, my girls just joined a choir and this morning we were practicing their music, their songs. And we've been doing this for a couple of weeks and I always say, okay, this part again, and I'll play it again. And then they just re-sing it. If there's a little blip in there, um, singing or lyrics or something, we just go over it five more times till it gets smooth. And then we carry on through the song. And the girls have been fine with that the last couple of weeks. Today, I was playing with Kate and she was practicing. When we got to this part, I said, okay, Kate, from right here. And she kind of melted down. She's like, <gasps> I don't want to do it anymore. I hate it. I hate that part. (laughs) And I I was like, wow. Usually I say something like, that's exactly what Jesus wants to hear. Can you tell him all about it? That's where I usually go. I said, we're not practicing because you're doing badly. You're doing wonderfully. We're practicing because you're getting better. And that hit me. Everything ties back to repentance for me right now. But I'm like, that's God. He wants us to expose our weaknesses, not because we're bad, not because we're going wrong and not because we're terrible. It's because he's making us better. So get it all out. Let the weakness come out. Don't be so afraid of it or guilt-ridden because of it or dejected because of it. Just keep pouring it out because that's how he makes it better. I love that example. The positive, no, that was so positive. Um, I love things that are positive. That was such a thought. Keep sharing. Anything else you'd like to share before we sign off? Yes. Um, I end my book with this paragraph. I'll just... Well... My other favorite story is um, the woman at the well. Well, do both. Maybe do that. do woman at the well and your closing paragraph. Okay, we'll do both. Do both. Um, the woman at the well is John chapter four. Okay, a woman comes to a well to get water, and there's a man there who says, "Give me a drink," and they carry on this bit of a conversation, and he says to her. If you knew who was asking you for a drink of water, you would be asking me for a drink of water, for living water. And she says, what do you mean living water? He says, I'll give you living water. You'll never thirst and it will give you everlasting life. And she says, okay, I'll get, I'll take that water. Give me, give me that water. And this, I call the magic words. He says, go get your husband. And what's the, what's the deal with the woman at the well? She has no husband. She's had five. 
And the man she's living with is not her husband. And so she exposes a partial truth. She lets out a little more. She says, I have no husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five. And the man you're living with is not your husband. He like keeps going straight to the problem. And he's not mad. He's not angry. He's not condemning her. He's not making her feel bad. You know, she's consumed with love right now. It's God. He is love. And um, so I just, that story encompasses repentance. He's, he, he's not scared of it. He's not disappointed in us. He's not shaming us. There's nothing I could tell him that would make him mad. Um, he just needs to know everything that's going on because that's how he makes it better. So I, I end my book with a couple of paragraphs like this. The end, well, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give the spoiler away. I'm not going to tell the end, but I am going to say this ends with Enoch, with the city of Enoch. And I do say the city of Enoch's miracle is our destiny and we get there by repenting. And so the end of the book is very good (laughs) if anybody gets there. (laughs) So this is how I end. What might happen if what might happen if when someone approached their church leader bearing the things of their soul, that leader preached not but repentance and said, We've got this. Jesus has you. Look at him in every thought. The scary ones, the impure ones, the sad ones, the addicted ones, the ones you don't like and wish you didn't have. Look when it's hard. Look when you don't want to. Look when you are confused, angry, sad, and ashamed. Pour out your honest heart your true feelings. Don't bury anything. He has already beat this, already won. And every time you tell him everything you think and feel, he will send you the power to win too. You are graven on the palms of his hands and feet and side, and he will not let go. Jesus will fight this battle. Look and don't stop looking. The miracle will come. Wow. I'm so moved. Christina, I'm so glad you reached out. So glad our listeners connect with you. And I don't think you're at the finish line talking and writing in our faith community. Um, I don't want to put pressure on you, but um, your voice is really needed. Um, It's very helpful. It's very thoughtful. It feels very doctrinally sound to me. And it's, I just sense more of our younger members are drawn to a higher, holier way and looking for. Uh, this kind of content to move forward as a Latter-day Saint and to heal and bring hope. Uh, we share this quote quite a bit, listeners, but it's Henry Noren, the wounded, wounded healer. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from heart wounding, wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led of a desert by someone who's never been there. And you're a wounded healer. You know, you talk about the bottom dropping out in an honest way. And um, it allows, there's purpose in that. Um, You have a perspective now um, to write a book like this and talk like this because it's coming from a first-person experience. And listeners, I think we're all the wounded healers. 
And as we follow the example of Christina, be honest with our Heavenly Father and the Savior about our woundedness, the reality of our lives, be vulnerable and honest. I think that allows us to move forward um, and grow and see purpose in our challenges and be able to get to a place where the bottom has no longer dropped out. <laughs> Whatever that is called, <laughs> the bottom's there. So, Christina, thank you. Um, you're just remarkable. And listeners will link to this book. It's not a complicated read. It's not like thousands of pages. It's something, it's a hundred pages. And I think you could read it. I'm not dismissing the importance of the book by saying it's a short book, but you may be overwhelmed with, I've got another book to read, but you may be able to plow through this in a reasonable time um, and share it with others that are just looking for um, a personal story of how to move forward. And this is so helpful. So Christina Judd, great job. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. And so Richard and Christina signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>